You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 23 is what we're going to look at uh, this morning. If you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you, I'm going to encourage you to pull out the notes provided for you in your bulletin. The scriptures are copied for you there along with other notes, quotes, and references and fill in the blanks uh, that you can follow as we go through the sermon. Uh, also, if you have a smartphone and you've downloaded uh, the Version Bible app, that's Y-O-U version. Uh, after you download it, if you go to the More tab, tap events, find Mount Carmel Baptist Church, and then click on today's sermon title, uh, you'll also be able to see the notes, quotes, and references. The only thing that's missing um, out of that um, uh, Bible app is if you want to go to our website, mtcarmeldemers.com forward slash notes, or if you hover over the watch tab, you'll see a drop-down menu that says notes. Uh, the thing that's in your notes that's not in the notes on the Bible app is there's a handout um, that you'll see me uh, allude to that talks about Jesus and the promises and prophecies about his saving work in the Old Testament, an outline of passages that you can look at to see how they, the Old Testament anticipates the work of Jesus. So um, if, you, if you want to see that and study through that, I encourage you to go to our website and download uh, the Sunday morning notes. All right? Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. I want to preach a message I've entitled, But Now. But Now. In November 2014, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, released its rule for calorie counts on chain restaurants. It requires movie theaters pizza chains, and grocery stores to include calorie counts on their products. The premise is this. If a person sees that a hamburger has 800 calories and that the chicken has only 500, that person might choose the chicken. Now, church, does that work? No, it doesn't work. Most Americans like this idea. In theory, it sounds great. That we would choose low-calorie food items if we just had more information. Unfortunately, there is one big problem with food labeling. It doesn't seem to change what we eat. If you want it, you're going to pick it no matter what. One researcher concluded calorie labeling, uh, calorie labeling on menus is not driving a significant change in consumer behavior. Now, calorie labels don't change eating habits. And as we learned last week, God's law, think of the Ten Commandments, doesn't change our evil hearts. 
It exposes it. People in our day think they are on great terms with God or that God is kind of peevish and He'll probably get over our sins. Most people don't think of themselves as under God's wrath and condemnation and that it's hanging over their head each and every day because God has chosen in His goodness and forbearance to not execute His condemnation and wrath. We live alive and well, and we expect to remain so. Nevertheless, church, listen, according to God's Word, condemnation and God's wrath hangs over us every day, and we will perish. We're already under God's wrath. That's what we have been exploring for the last two and a half chapters in the book of Romans. We have been talking about humanity, sin, and ruin, and being under the wrath of God. It is the sad story of the human race and all of its consequences and effects because of our sin and rebellion against God. And finally, we've now reached the point in the book of Romans where Paul is going to take a glorious turn. Instead of reviewing the grim story of sin and God's wrath, Paul's about to give us the good news. Ready? It says this in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, but now, apart from the law, make again the Ten Commandments, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested, by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there is no distinction in this famous verse, for all have sinned and fall short. That's continuous. That's in the present. Fall short of the glory of God. I have one simple point that I want us to explore this morning. Is number one, and it's the only thing, but now... God declares us all righteous through faith in Jesus. But now, God declares us all righteous through faith in Jesus. This phrase, but now, is one of the most glorious phrases in all of Scripture. It's not just a turn in Paul's logic and argument. It signifies a transition in salvation history and how God deals with people. But now, this is what God is looking for in His relationship with you. Notice this phrase, the righteousness of God. I'm not going to get into all the grammar of it, but the righteousness of God can, has a double meaning. It can, one, mean an attribute of God. The attribute being that God is perfectly righteous in His character. And that is absolutely true. But in view of the context, as you'll see this argument unfold through some of the remaining chapters, is that the second meaning of the righteousness of God called the activity of God is what Paul is talking about here. The activity of the righteousness of God is the act by which God brings people into right relationship with himself. So this is a verb. This is something God does. This is not the noun, the righteousness of God. It is the active righteousness of God that Paul has in view in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. 
And notice what the, the con, uh, what's being contested is that this act of righteousness, God making you right with Himself, putting you right, declaring you righteous, is now apart from the law. Before Jesus, God's righteousness was revealed according to the law. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 6.25. Righteousness will be ours. This is Moses speaking. Righteousness will be ours if we are careful to follow every one of these commands before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. And as we talked about last week, there's 613 commands. Jesus boils it down to just two. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. A lot easier said than done. And what we found is this, righteousness cannot be ours. We can't be declared righteous by, righteous by God based on the works of the law because all of us have failed. Grace, I don't want to say there has to be because God's under compulsion. Is there a righteousness you can give that's apart from us doing anything about it? We call it in theology an alien righteousness. Something outside of us, foreign to us. That you might grant us. And that's what Paul is saying is God's going to show us a way to be right with him that's not based on the law. Church, that's a good thing. But notice, notice the continuity and discontinuity. He says this, that it's been manifested apart from the law, but it's always been attested by the law and prophets. The law and prophets are the way that, that biblical writers refer to the whole Old Testament. He says this is actually nothing new. It's just now been revealed or completely manifested. This work has been anticipated and expected all throughout your Old Testament Bible. And I don't have time this morning because, trust me, I'd love to do it, but I spent like the last part of the year going through a visual theology of the Bible and covering Jesus from cover to cover. And go back and watch it because what I want you to know is from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22, this book is about Jesus. It anticipates his work. It explains his work. It goes back and says, I don't know if you caught that, but I want to tell you about it one more time. He's the hero of this book. And so the whole thing is that the Old Testament prophets always hinted from the beginning all the way to the end. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And what Paul says, he's here. God made good on his word. But now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, it's been revealed, it's been unveiled, it's been manifested. So what is it? Are you ready? This is the Christian faith right here. It's faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That should scare you. That's it. Faith in Jesus Christ. God declares people to be righteous when they put their trust in Jesus. That's the central tenet of Christianity. I don't have anything good to bring. Nothing. I'm going to trust Jesus. God pardons sins. He, reckons, he is reconciled with sinners. He grants His peace to all because of Jesus. Those who have been declared righteous are now the children of God. I love what uh, the Apostle John says in 1 John 3. And such we really are. It's not a metaphor. He means it literally. You're His kids. Because of Jesus, you relate to God now as Father. Not under the judgment of his wrath. Faith. Faith in Jesus is one of those words Christians use often 
But if you think about it too hard, it's really difficult to define. Charles Spurgeon said, Faith is the simplest of all things, and yet perhaps because of its very simplicity, that makes it so hard to comprehend. And I believe that absolutely. Just what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? Faith involves believing that someone else will do something that's not yet visible or has not yet happened. You're going to trust someone else to do something for you. That's hard. Thus to have faith is to relinquish trust in oneself and to put your trust wholly in another. I'm not going to trust anything more about me and my good works. I'm going to trust. I'm going to have faith in somebody else. Spurgeon put it this way, Faith is believing that Christ is what he said to be, and that he will do what he has promised to do, and then expect this of him. Expect it. Expect that you'll be declared righteous before God. You can live in that kind of faith with Jesus. Believers believers are righteous through faith. And church, catch this, this will help you. But it's never on account of our faith. I know so many Christians that get worried about their assurance of salvation because they'll say things like this, I can't tell whether I was genuine or not. And I understand that question, but I need you to catch this. We can have really weak faith like mustard seed faith. And we can have really strong faith. But what saves us isn't our faith itself. It's the object that we put our faith in. And let me tell you, church, Jesus is a great Savior whether you've got weak faith or strong faith. So some of you, you're worried about your level of faith. Stop worrying about that. You've got a great Savior. Just trust. Just trust. Right? The question is not about, oh, how's your faith? The question is, well, how's your Savior? He's doing all right. All right? Faith is not in and of itself a work of righteousness. It is not a good work. Faith is simply the outstretched, empty hand that receives the righteousness of God. It's going, I have nothing to offer you. God, I have nothing to give. Faith, by definition, excludes all other acts or works. It's not a work. When we say that salvation is by faith, not by works, we're not substituting one kind of merit, faith, for another, works. Grace is non-contributory. Faith is the opposite of self-regarding. It is never said that people are saved on account of their faith. Faith is simply the mode of receptivity. One theologian said it's the hand of the heart. Like, I'll take it. Faith receives what God bestows And yet it adds nothing to the gift. I need you to see this. Salvation has been completely accomplished apart from your faith. Do you catch that? The only thing, the great theologian says, the only thing we contribute to the gospel message is our sin. That's it. Everything else has been done for you in Jesus. The question is, will you receive it? Will you trust him? Will you expect him to do what he said he will do? And be declared righteous. The value of faith is never to be found in faith itself, but entirely and exclusively in the object, what you're putting your faith in. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
As Richard Hooker, the late 16th century Anglican Devon wrote, this is awesome, God justifies or makes the believer right, not because of the worthiness of his belief, but because of his worthiness who is believed. Jesus is worthy. That's the point. That's what we're trying to stress to you. Our faith is in Jesus' faithfulness. Our believing is in Jesus' perfect obedience, life, death, and resurrection. Church, I want to make this clear. All people are believing or trusting in something with regard to what would I do if I stand before God on judgment day and have to give an account of our life. Can I tell you what a Christian does? This is what a Christian is. A Christian just trusts Christ. That's our answer. I don't have anything else to show for my life. Nothing. I'm not trusting in any good works, my heritage, my church going, my giving. Nothing else. That I'm a good person or a bad person. All I've got to say is I trust in Jesus. And that's enough. And that's radical. That's a radical idea. And notice this. It's to all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The absence of glory in our life is because of the deprivation of the image of God. When we sin, we've lost our power all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 to resist the power of sin, to resist evil. So we're marred. Our, Our image, we're supposed to reflect the image of God. It's broken. Every day we're not reflecting God as he intended us to be. Paul uh, says here, he indicates that all people fail to exhibit that being like God, that righteousness for which they were created to live in. But notice the present tense verb of the word. This is so important. It says all have sinned. That's a, a verb done in the past. You've, at some point you have transgressed, you have trespassed God's boundary, the law. But notice this, we're all, my preaching right now, and I don't, don't judge me, but it's falling short. You're falling short. Right now, we're constantly falling short. I like how one commentator described it. He says, think about this, because this, this probably helps us in our age. Think of having a schedule in which you're always running behind. You get one thing done, and you're already supposed to be at some other place. He says, and this is the way it is with the holiness of God. You may go, oh, I did one good thing. You're like, well, the holiness of God is already ahead of you. You will never catch up to it. We continue to fall short. That includes Christians. Right now, if you're a Christian, you're not, you have not caught up to the glory of God. Because what are we doing? We're trusting in someone else for our righteousness. The righteousness of God is both exclusive and inclusive. God's righteousness is available only through faith in Jesus. But it is available to anyone who has faith in Christ. That's the inclusive and exclusive part. It's only in Christ, but anybody can come to Christ. The gospel ignores whether you're a Jew, a Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, cultured, slave, free, male, female, language, ethnicity, race, weak, powerful, educated, uneducated, rich, poor, economically developed, economically deprived, sophisticated, or plain. The Bible just goes, you're all sinners. And you all need the grace of God. And you can all come to Jesus by faith. 
That's a quality. That's a quality. Why do none of these distinctives matter in the eyes of God? I mean, think about it. Anything, whatever resume you bring to the table, why does none of it matter when it comes to God's wrath and condemnation? Hanley Mool put it this way. The harlot, the liar, the murderer. We know this. They are short of God's glory, but so are you. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of a mon, right? Think of it like a valley. And you're on the great uh, cliff of the Alps mountains. But you're not able to touch the stars either. That's all it is. The standard is touch a star. Some of us may be a little higher or lower compared to one another, but none of us can touch the star. We've all fallen short. I can't get it. And you never will. The great deception comes from those who are on the Alps. Listen to this. For those who think they're righteous, for those who think they're on that mountain cliff and they're higher than everybody else, they see the microcosmic advantage over their fellows in the degrees of behavior. Removes their feet not an inch from a corrupt moral ground that they and the worst sinners stand on together. We will always fall short. Do you hear what he says? He says, but if you think about it, you're all standing on the same ground. We're all stuck here. No matter if you're higher up or lower down. It doesn't matter. In a factory, a new inexperienced employee managed to get his hand caught in a machine. Afraid to tell the foreman, he tried hard to unravel it himself, but it only got worse in desperation. He finally yelled for the foreman and told him, I did my best. And the foreman responded, your best is to get me. Your best is to get me. Y'all, that's what we're, we're all caught up in sin. We're trying to get out of it. That's not what God wants. Your best, go get Jesus. Jesus, that's the best we can do. Go get him. Professor Nathaniel Micklem of Mansfield College, Oxford, has said this, the ultimate scandal or stumbling block, obstacle of evangelical religion, the gospel that I just preached to you, lies not in dogma or symbolism, but it's intolerable offense to human pride. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. It is that which the man of taste and culture cannot bring himself to say. He feels no need of so utter a salvation. To him, therefore, it is nonsense or mere mythology that the majesty of God should take a servant's form. That is what the master said. The publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom before you. And that is the reason for the aversion of men of taste to evangelical religion. Because what does this cost you to call on Jesus? Your pride. I have nothing to bring. And that's also why it means there's no distinction because God says it doesn't matter who you are, none of us have anything to bring. The point is that the the Christianity that is distinguished categorically from every other human religion, I'm about to tell you, this is what separates us from every other worldview, philosophy, and religion. All religions have their distinguishing points. Some call God by a different name. 
Some emphasize one path to God, some another. Some are mystical, some are very ritualistic, but all, except for Christianity, suppose that there is something humans can do for the deity to convince the deity to save them. They teach a human way to achieve eternity, a man-made ladder to the bliss of the life to come. Only Christianity humbles man by insisting there is nothing you can do to work out your salvation. Nothing. No other system, ideology, or religion proclaims a free forgiveness and a new life to those who have nothing to deserve it, but a lot to deserve judgment instead. All other systems teach a self-salvation through good works of religion, righteousness, or philanthropy. Christianity, I love this, this is from John Stott, is not in essence a religion, it is a gospel. It is a good news. Hey, it's free. It's free. The gospel, the good news that God's grace has turned uh, his wrath away, that God's son has died our death and borne our judgment, that God has made mercy on the undeserving. There is nothing left for us to do or even contribute. Faith's only function is to receive what grace offers. That's it. That's it. Francis Schaeffer illustrates it this way. Our faith has no saving value. Our religious good works, our moral good works have no saving value because they're not perfect. Our suffering has no saving value. We would have to suffer infinitely because we have sinned against an infinite God. And we being finite cannot suffer infinitely. The only thing in all of God's moral universe with the power to save is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Our faith merely accepts that gift. It is finished. It is finished. Can you say with the Apostle Paul, this is what he says in Philippians 3, 8 through 9, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having A righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. He says, that's what I want you to get to, a place where you go, I don't have a righteousness based on good works according to the Bible. I'm not trusting in that. I'm trusting in the finished work of Jesus. That's all I got. And that's everything you need. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones suggests this is the one way you can test whether you are a true Christian and by which you can reassure and strengthen yourself if you are. You ready to hear his test? When the devil attacks you and suggests to you that you are not a Christian and that you have never been a Christian because of what is still in your heart or because of what, you was, what you're still doing or because of something you once did, when he comes and thus accuses you, what do you say to him? Do you agree with him or do you say to him, yes, that was true, but now. But now. Do you hold those two words against him? But now. And not watch good things you've done, but now what? Jesus has come. Or or when perhaps you feel condemned as you read the scripture. The scripture will condemn you. 
As you read the law in the Old Testament, as you read the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus explains the intent of the law, as you feel you're undone, do you remain lying on the ground in hopelessness or do you lift up in your your head and say, but now, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law has been revealed. This is the essence of the Christian position. This is how faith answers the accusations of the law, the accusations of our conscience, and everything else that would condemn us and depress us. We can go, but now. These are very wonderful and strong words, and it's most important that we should lay hold of them and realize their tremendous importance and their real significance in everyday life. Can you say those words? You can if you trust Jesus and his life and death and resurrection on your behalf. You can say, but now. Can you say, I once was lost, what? But, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was subject to the just wrath of God. All of us are. But now Jesus has saved me having received the gift of God's righteousness through faith in Him. But now it changes everything in the Bible, but more importantly, catch this, it changes everything about you in your relationship with God. But now, apart from the law, God declaring you righteousness has been revealed through what? Faith in Jesus alone. In Jesus alone. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed I want to encourage you in this moment to do two things. Number one, you say, Josh, it sounds so simple. And we're going to discuss this in the coming weeks. This is is the grace of God. It cost us nothing, but it cost His Son everything. We don't have a cheap grace. It's a precious, priceless grace because the Son of God is the one who afforded this for you through His life, death, and resurrection. So it's not that it's simple because God just made it free. There was a cost to that freedom. And we'll discuss that more. That's what Paul's going to get to. But I don't want to miss the simplicity of the gospel offer. You mean to tell me it's about repentance of sin? And a simple faith in Jesus, and they're like, that is the essence of Christianity. That's the beginning, that's the end. And what I want to give you an opportunity to do is this. I want to give you an opportunity today to call upon Jesus in trust. In trust. He is God. He's not dead. He's alive. He hears our thoughts and whispers. But to call out to Jesus to confess you're a sinner and to trust His life, death, and resurrection for your righteousness, and just commit your life to Him. Give everything to Him. Say, I'm all in on you, Jesus. (laughs) Nothing else matters. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, just a model prayer. There's nothing special about this prayer. Remember, it doesn't matter the, 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 the strength of our faith. It's the strength of the object we're putting in it, and that's Jesus. He's a strong Savior. But if you're ready to commit, confess sin and commit your life to Christ and trust Him 
would you simply pray this prayer in the stillness and quietness of your heart to say, Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I deserve your wrath, but I believe your word. I trust that you love me, you came down for me, you lived a perfect life, and you shed your blood and died on the cross to forgive all my sin. And God raised you from the dead to prove it. Please forgive me. Change my heart. And give me everlasting life. Thank you for your free grace. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you go, that's it? If you trusted Christ, that's it. Now, as we learn, this is what you'll find out in the Bible, is that this faith in Christ shapes our life. It shapes our life. You're a new creature. You're a new person. You're a babe in Christ. And the first thing, the first thing that Jesus, this is from the lips of your Savior and God, teaches us to do, to show the world of what Jesus has done for us is is to be baptized. It's how we take that private commitment and confession you just made and you go public with it. Where you identify with Jesus and say you believe in Jesus. And the way it works is when you go under the water, you're saying, I believe and identify with Jesus' death for my sin. And when you come up out of the water, you're saying, I believe and identify with Jesus' resurrection for my forgiveness and eternal life. And so my encouragement to you is if you've never been baptized, baptism cannot save you. Remember, everything that you need for salvation has already been accomplished for Jesus. But in love and gratitude and obedience to Jesus, on this side, what we call sanctification, I want to encourage you to follow him in that next step. If you've never been baptized, check off being baptized on the back of our tariff panel. Text BELIEVE to our text in church number. Visit our website, go to that baptism tab, fill out the form. Give us a chance just to talk to you about baptism and its significance in our Christian life. The last thing that I want us to do, if you're a believer, you go, Josh, this is the simple gospel. Isn't it awesome, though? Isn't it awesome? I've been reading this book about the Puritans' prayers. And I want you to listen to this prayer that was written. It was written by David Clarkson. And this is about just a half of the prayer. I couldn't include all of it. But notice what he says. Just listen to this. This is a Christian speaking. If I had all the things that a person could desire on earth, what good would it do me without Christ's righteousness? What would riches do for me If they came with the wrath of God, what comfort would honor bring me if I remained a son of perdition or a child of wrath? What sweetness would there be in pleasure if I were on the path to everlasting torments? What miserable comforts and enjoyments are these without Christ's righteousness? Lord, and this is his prayer, and this is what I would encourage you to pray. However you deal with me in outward things, whatever you take from me, whatever you deny me, 
Do not deny me Jesus. Do not deny me Christ. Do not deny me a share in His righteousness. And that changes our whole perspective, doesn't it, as believers? We get messed up and, and, and caught up in all these worldly things. You have, been, you have already been given the best gift you could ever receive. And that is the Son of God bleeding and dying for your sins and rising for your forgiveness. Just take a moment in the middle of this meditation and reflection to thank Jesus for his sacrifice so that you can be declared righteous. Father, we thank you so much for just the the words of this song, dear God, to know that in your death, you satisfied your wrath and gave us life and forgiveness. Lord, we're accepted because Jesus was rejected. We're forgiven because he's forsaken. We thank you that he came on our behalf and for our benefit. And Lord, we can never fathom the reason why other than to know you are good. You are loving, you're kind, you're merciful, compassionate, you're full of pity. And so we thank you for who you are. And Lord, as Paul will will tell us eventually that our reasonable worship, it makes good sense to be living sacrifices for Jesus, to go and to proclaim Jesus, make much of Jesus, to love Jesus, not out of not out of a burden or to be right with you, but because we've been made right with you because of Jesus. Help us to go and love him and love our neighbor and point each one 
to the truth that it's simple faith in Christ alone. He is a great Savior that can forgive us of all sin. Jesus, help us make much of you through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. And all God's people say, Amen. I got just a couple of quick announcements I want to share with you. Uh, first of all, again, if, if you're interested in baptism or membership because of uh, some of the guidelines, we just have to orchestrate it a little bit more. Uh, but we, we still want to baptize. We still want to accept people into membership. Uh, you can text BELIEVE or connect to our text and church number or go to our website. If you hover over, I believe, the home tab, you'll see baptism or membership. You can fill out the form uh, that's sent to, to me, and we will love to respond to you about that. A uh, couple other things I want to encourage you to do. Please RSVP by Thursday of each week. And the reason we're doing this is just simply to ensure that we can keep uh, social distance while we're here. Uh, so you can also tear off, I heard some of you doing it now, just tear off that panel. If you're a visitor, we would love to have a record of your visit and get to know you and partner with you in ministry. But if you also want to go ahead and reserve your spot for the next two Sundays, you can fill out that tear off panel uh, and drop it in the drop box. If not, just text RSVP, just those four letters, no periods, no space in between them, uh, to our text and church number or visit our website, click reserve, and you can fill that out as well. Also, one special note. So tonight at 6 o'clock, now it, the video's actually already be, been released. You can go to our YouTube channel, uh, and that's just, if you search for M.T. Carmel Demarest, uh, you should be able to pull it up. Uh, but uh, Aaron, Pastor Aaron is, is honoring uh, the Southern Baptist tradition of Citizenship Sunday, all right? And uh, this is also available to you on the, uh, the tables on your way out, is there is a pamphlet it's about, you know, just like a half page that shows um, the candidates, the presidential candidates and their positions on certain things. And, and all that we as Southern Baptists want to encourage you to do is, is be an informed voter. Okay, that's all we want to encourage you to do. And so uh, the, uh, what Aaron will be doing tonight is reviewing uh, the position between those candidates. So you can actually go on there right now and watch it. If not, I'm going to try to kind of re-release it at 6 uh, to remind you uh, and get notifications. But uh, he'll walk you through that, and we just want to encourage you to be informed and go vote uh, in the upcoming election, all right? Uh, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. We're going to exit right here in just a minute. When you do, when we do finish, uh, please, if you can quickly go outside. We want to fellowship as much outside as possible and also be able to wipe down uh, the pews and, uh, and other areas in here. Thank you for coming to worship with us today. Brother Rick, will you come and lead us in one last song? Thank you, Brother Josh, for... Thank you, Holy Spirit. You know, the, one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to bring to our remembrance, to remind us of the things that God's written in his word. And Josh has done that for me this morning. I thank him for that, and I hope he has you. And if you've not, if you're listening online and you've never, you don't really understand who he's talking about. I pray that uh, this simple faith that he talked about would be yours because it's really uh, it's all about him, not about us. So, and one, you know, one thing I want us to do, and may do this throughout till the election, and who knows how long. But there's a song in our book called "Heal Our Land," and you've got it in your bulletins. If you're not familiar with this song, I'd like to do it twice this morning, and uh, let it become a, a prayer on our hearts in the. Uh, every night, every day, and uh, I think it's just a great song that uh, God is allowed to be in our hymnals and uh, for us to sing and to mean it from the depths of our hearts because he's the only one that can heal us.
He is. So let's stand together as we do that. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.